0: on the tee jack nicholas
1: this is the minute the millions around the world have waited for
0: we will allow you to enjoy all of this
2: they are dancing in the pubs of dublin harrington with an ace and we have a shining star at sunset Rory continues His run to greatness, the return
1: to glory. Hi, guys. Welcome to another episode of the Bogeyman Golf podcast hosted by Dave and Johnny. Um, We've had a few requests in to get the tour caddies experience. And one of the first people that jumped to mind when when I think of the tour caddies and the Irish representatives is Darren Reynolds. And we are delighted to be joined by by the man himself. Darren, how are you doing?
0: Hello, guys. How are you doing? I'm all good. Thank you.
1: You've um you've recovered from the the long flight from Cyprus back to London.
0: Yeah, I came back on uh, come home Sunday night. It was actually a long flight, you know, it was like four hours twenty or something. It's uh, certainly the longest flight we do in Europe. Uh, mm. Almost had a little bit of jet lag on the back of it, to be honest.
1: It seemed like a like a lovely course. How was it? Uh, how was it out there?
0: Yeah, um, it was my first time ever in Cyprus. The place was nice, you know. Obviously, a resort golf course um we we stayed on site hotel was fantastic golf course was great we really enjoyed it you know and um, amazing piece of land uh i'm not too sure who designed the course but done a great job on it the way it uh, flows around this valley people would have seen on television i'm sure it looked absolutely spectacular
1: yeah it was um it it certainly didn't look like your traditional resort course
0: No, well, we were very lucky. You know, we had with a couple of buggy rides. I think three of them. I think the buggy ride from the third tee to uh, to the landing area of your drive. The drive you drive over this canyon. Uh, I think the carry is like two hundred and sixty yards, but the drive takes one kilometer to get there.
1: <laughs> that is in. that's so, that's, uh, that's
2: that's insane. insane.
0: <laughs> yeah, you you definitely don't want to be walking the course.
2: No. No, I can imagine there's been a few of them, I think, the guys have been saying on tour this year that have just been absolute brutes in terms of being able to walk to. But I said, yeah, because there was a couple of holes there that were in complete isolation to other holes on the course. Um, yeah. So certainly one of the par threes as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you didn't know much about golf and you, you, you look from the third tee down to which, even the first time I got there, like, what hole is that down there? is that the same course? You look down to the eight, and, uh, you know, you wouldn't believe it's the same golf course. But it's just the way the course flows beautifully around this uh, uh, gorge, gorge or canyon, you know. But um, now it's a very spectacular piece of uh, golf, really.
1: So Darren, I think for for anyone that that may not know, could we get a little background on on yourself and your your caddying experience and your 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 own your own golf history, if that could? You're a, a proud Delgany member, like myself.
0: Yeah, well, Delgany is where I started playing really as a junior, and um, Uh, You know, I was always around good golfers growing up. Two of my best friends, Alan Murray, who's now in uh, Seattle, coaching the Huskies golf team, and Kevin Condren, a Greystones member. They were both Greystones. They both played for Ireland. So they were obviously very, very good golfers, always playing off scratch or just plus figures. I was never that good. I was always pottering around. My lowest was ever was six, you know, off of nine or ten when I was playing golf with the lads. But I was always with them, going to their big competitions, and that kind of got me introduced to caddying and being around good players.
1: You obviously had a bug for, had the bug for golf. So was there a moment where you were like, "I'm not gonna not gonna make it as a player," but you won the the tour tour experience, and and caddying was was that calling?
0: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it happened fairly quick. You know, I never. I, I never set out to, never seen caddying as a career, if I'm totally honest with you. I got an opportunity back in 97. I was in college studying computer-aided design. And Bray has quite a few caddies. And I was also working in a pub part-time. And one of the caddies used to come in, John Mulrooney. at the time he was caddying for a lads of And uh, he was a friend of my brother's and I knew him very well. And he used to kind of give me golf balls golf memorabilia, hats, this sort of stuff, talking about caddy. so I wouldn't mind trying that. And then one day I got a phone call from him to say he uh, he got me a job for two weeks. Was I interested caddy? And in the first week was in Portugal, and the second week was in uh, Gran Canaria, caddy for a Spaniard called Domingo Hospital. Anyway, I, off I went, got organized. Uh, mother got me my flight tickets, all this, went off done my two weeks caddying, he made both cuts. And uh, I often look back on it now, you know, back in 97, when that was. If I hadn't missed both those cuts, I might have thought, geez, this caddying is fairly tough or uh, <laughs> I, I'm not sure if I like it. But he made both cuts and uh, still at it 23 years later.
2: The sliding door, The sliding door is there, isn't there? Just for someone who could have just gone on a two-week holiday and all of a sudden missed out on a career or a calling. And that tends to be kind of almost one of the two things, doesn't it? Because what is it about, I suppose, what makes a good caddy? Because it's not, it's not the playing side. Is it, are you, are you firm or is there a style of caddy that suits a certain type of player or is there kind of just people are good caddies no no matter, or they just Uh, have it I'd say a combination of a few factors, you know, like, A lot
0: of people think, oh, you must be a good player to be a caddy. Far from it. That's I wouldn't not necessarily at all. I mean, one of the the first thing about you know, first thing is to try and find a good player. That makes your caddying a lot easier if you have a really good player. Um, I mean, the game's changed. The caddies, the old school caddies. When I started caddying, there's not many of them left now, and uh, one or two. The guys, even back then, the way they used to caddy, and I mean this in a nice as possible way. You wouldn't get away with speaking to the younger pros now. They would. They'd, they'd be very sensitive if 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 they were spoken to maybe the way the senior caddies did back when I started caddying. If that makes sense.
2: Yeah, and is, are these the guys now that would have like traditionally kind of almost backpacked around Europe, got to a tour event and kind of almost slept on the range type thing, picked up a bag from one or up until Friday and maybe even changed yeah. bag on a Saturday. Like
0: yeah. Well, like the game's changed so When I started caddying, my first year, um, I you know, and I, I'd say this in the nicest way possible without being any way cocky, you could have had a choice any week of turning up at a tournament and probably caddy for it, maybe four to six guys. They would be looking for caddies now. Mm-hmm. Fast forward twenty odd years, I see really, really good caddies at tournaments that can't get work.
1: Why is that? You so think?
0: a lot of guys. I think a lot, well, a lot of guys now are bringing people out to caddy for them. As in, a, it could be a brother or a cousin or a friend. And there's some really good caddies, senior caddies that are investing their time now on the challenge tour. Hoping to get a guy that plays well on the challenge tour and be rewarded the following year to get onto the main tour with him. You will sacrifice a year of small events but it's really got very, very difficult to get a, to, to get a player.
2: That so was they, obviously the case with... Yeah, we, we spoke to Bob McIntyre about that, and he said when he went on to Challenge Store, that was the first investment that he made was into... I think it was Greg, actually, Greg Milne. Um, yeah. Now, they've since parted ways, but he said that was primordial for him as a player to get a full-time caddy and get the right caddy to bring him through. And obviously, they've since split and and whatever, but that, that happens in the game. But funny from a player's perspective as well that the guys who are very serious about it tend to go down that route of picking up a full time caddy on the Challenge Tour, and obviously it's an well I suppose it's the long game really from your from from your guys' perspective isn't it?
0: Yeah, well as I said, you know some people are bringing out friends now, but I think if you look at the bigger picture over the course of the season, I think there's you know there's nothing. Better than having a good caddy at your side, you know, because friendship can get in the way of things. You know, you're bringing out a buddy, you could fall out. And I've seen that happen in the past with lads. And at the end of the day, you can't beat a bit of experience. You know, we're going to so many courses. You know, if you have a guy coming out from the challenge he possibly may have not played any of the uh, courses on the big tour. You know, that's when you rely and lean on a caddy that knows his stuff, knows his way around the place. And not just in the golf, I think in. in and showing them a little bit of direction too some of these lads are young lads they need a bit of direction off the course as well you know
1: so it's almost like a a mentorship for the more experienced caddies taking on the the younger younger players
0: yeah I mean even myself you know this year I, I'm the guy that's came from the Challenge Tour so at the start of the season there was a couple of events he wasn't in so you're kind of you're hoping when he does get the chance to play you can strike lucky you know because you're kind of I've gone from always caddying for guys that have been in every event. Then you know I've, the lad I'm with now. He's because he's coming to Chancer, You're not guaranteed to be in every tournament, but every player has being there. You have to earn your stripes, and once you keep your card that first year, you get rewarded the following year.
1: Because you're with um, you're working with Anton Rosner at the moment, aren't you?
0: Yeah, I started with Anton back in uh, in in January actually in the South African Open and funny enough we're going back to South Africa now on Sunday I'm heading down and uh, we're playing the Joburg Open back on the same course where we started back in January
2: and in terms of that fit so let's go back to January when obviously Anton was Anton shopping for for Guy and was it good timing and then what's the the main thing that works or fits Uh, what's the thing that you look out for saying this this can work now
0: well, yeah. So he was in the he was looking for a caddy, and I'd spoke to a good friend of mine, uh, Tom Ailing, who caddies for Alex Levy. So he the he actually lives in France, is well in with the French players and that. And Anton kind of reached out to him, said, Do "You know anyone available?" He Said, "Yeah, Darren Reynolds would be ideal for you." Blah blah. Got the ball rolling. Then we had a chat on the phone to get myself from Rosner, and uh, we went down there, but. I didn't, I'd be genuine. I didn't know about the guy. Until I, I went on the challenge her website, looked at his results and his, uh, a few of his statistics. And he had a great profile. He won twice last year and the challenged her. So went down to Africa. It's all, you're going into the unknown because you've only spoke to the guy a couple of times on the phone. So you don't actually know how you're going to get on, you know, mm-hmm. but we kind of, we hit it off. He made the first cut, which is obviously you want to kind of make the that first helps. cut when you're out together it too. It <laughs> helps. And, uh, He's, you know, he's similar interest to me. He's very keen on sport, uh, football, rugby, and uh, enjoys a glass of wine. So, yeah, we got on pretty well. And a uh, year, nearly a year in now, seemed to be getting on quite well too. Playing well, having a decent season. And hopefully, we'll have a strong finish to the season now to get going again.
2: And I would have thought, actually, this year, above all years, it's been a year that Caddy's. Carries- and player relationships, have to, they have to get on socially because within the bubble, obviously, you're confined to very much the two of you. And there's not many people that you can say, listen, I'm going to go and have a pint with such and such a fella to blow off steam and give out about my man because you just can't anymore, can you? No, not that I you giving out yeah. about him. <laughs> no, but it's,
0: it's, it's obviously bizarre times for everyone. Um, the European Tour... Done an, I have to say they've done an amazing job to get us going again. Like when this all stopped back in March we and as time was going on and the, the virus was spreading, I didn't actually think we could get maybe not get going again this year. But we've got back since I think the end of July. We've played plenty of tournaments. Probably I think I've done about 10 or 11. And, uh, but yeah, it's strange because you're spending so much time with your player in the bubble system you know, you're literally you're on the course for five hours with them. You have to have lunch with them. You have to have dinner with them. You got to stay in the same hotel. There's no getting away from them. Uh, I've seen the strain on an awful lot of relationships since we've restarted, because, like you said, we're, we're with them too much. You know, I'm lucky. I carry for a nice guy. I enjoy his company. He has a glass of wine. You know, or we share a bottle of wine if we're not. You know, start the week, Tuesday, Wednesday. But uh, it's not for everybody the amount of time we're spending with one another.
1: Yeah, it's interesting because you were talking about some players taking taking friends of theirs on their back. That's that's probably a surefire way to to really test a friendship.
0: Absolutely. So you, I've seen a lot of players now bringing out their girlfriends or their wives carrying with them. Keeps costs down, and as you said, you know, quite a few guys are bringing out their friends. But uh, it'll put a, a test on the relationship too, you know. But I'm lucky. I carry for a nice guy. I look around the room some nights and I think, Jesus, I, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't carry for him let alone. Have dinner with a man lunch, you know.
2: <laughs> so <laughs> so free to name din- names. Yeah, yeah free to name names. But yeah. <laughs> I well, I just see some people, and you see that you. I think they're general chat, and I don't know if they're. If it's internal and they're only talking to themselves, and but there's a, there certainly is a couple of guys on tour who look like Jesus. They're they, they're vicious enough in terms of how they treat. And I, what happens then when they walk off the course after, I suppose having a bit of an argument or a bit of a barney or, or saying something in the heat of the moment, and then you have to sit down for two hours over dinner, and it must make things very strange. Even in normal conditions, that must be strange, is it?
0: Yeah, well, in normal conditions, it's not bad because you go your separate way. You know, normally you'd be staying in a caddy hotel, and he'd be in his own hotel. But yeah, I mean, if if, if you've been a bit of an ill argument on the course, and you can't get away from him, you know, <laughs> you can't even, you, ha- you can't just you have to man up and have dinner. You can't say I'm going to have my room service tonight because you know you want to clear the air. But it is strange because the bubble, you know, you can't get away from it. But you got to give credit to the tour; they have us back playing, and then. Um, they worked at a pretty, pretty full-on schedule, really.
1: Yeah. So, could we go back to when maybe you you weren't quite as experienced a caddy, and uh, you were saying that you your first caddy job was was in Portugal. How did, soon after, or how long after did you meet up with McGinley?
0: Yeah. Uh, well, so that would have been. I I I'd done a few other players in between. Um, I suppose the I the breakthrough to get before I went to Paul, I had a, I caddy for Drake Carrington in one week tournament in, um, in Taiwan, the BMW Asian open. And, uh, he happened to win it. And I was caddying for Roger Chapman, an English guy at the time. And I went home, obviously happy. It was a call out of the blue and happened to win the tournament. And at the time, Paul had just finished with JP Fitzgerald. And so he was looking for the caddy. And, uh, Harrington kind of said to him, look, Darren Reynolds worked for me, done a good old job, blah, blah. I think he might be ideal for you. So Paul himself had an old chat and I started with Paul then the following season and we stuck together for close on six years.
2: And would you say that your role is nearly to, is to clarify things, simplify things for a player? Because you look at a tour yardage book and there must be 150 yardages per hole. Um, They have their own numbers. Greens books, there's so much information that, are you kind of? Are you there to like distill this down to? You need to know two things right now, and I'm going to tell you them. And is that where your suppose may? Is there a good? Is there a skill in that and knowing what your man needs?
0: Yeah, I think absolutely. Like as I said, I like to try and keep it simple. Sometimes, you know, we, we say the word out there. You don't want to over caddy, fill their head with so many numbers, and, you know. With with Rosner, he likes to know a landing number generally is what... The main thing he's looking for is is the wind and the landing number, what that landing number is playing. But you don't want to give them... You can overload them with information too, you know? And all of a sudden, (laughs) their brains frizzle before they hit the shot.
2: And are there guys who are... Are there guys who are easier on themselves like that? Because I've I've been looking at Lee Westwood, obviously, over the last while, who has now got his partner... Girlfriend caddying for him, and has taken everything onto himself now, um, which is fine for a guy of his experience who knows his game inside out. Uh, there are there other guys, and I, we're going to this newer generation? Do they do they need to be babied around the golf course a little bit more?
0: Yeah, um, yeah, probably some of them, but a lot of the good players coming through now—they've been to a college system. A lot of them in America, so they're well, they're well prepared in terms of tra- traveling. Understanding competition, knowing their game well, they're cutting for themselves in all these big college uh, competitions. But there is an element of some of them do still need a little bit of winding.
2: Big brother stuff.
0: Well, kind of. A lot of it's in, uh, you know, in, in competition. Certainly coming down the stretch on a Sunday, because a lot of these lads are playing for different, um, different things, fighting for a card or trying to get enough money up or get into a following week's tournament so you're just trying to assess every player really differently really you know
1: so then if you can go back to to start a new relationship with with paul what was what was your role then primarily coming into that was you were he was obviously a more experienced player but you were as well so how did you how did you find your groove or how long does it take to to find a groove with your with the new player
0: uh, well, I learned. I have to say, I learned a lot from from Paul in the beginning as well. You know because I was still fairly young at the time, he was a big player, and it was good for my caddying in terms of I was going to a named player, and he was a TV draw player. So every week he was in, you're in. He was playing with good players. You're out with good caddies, so you're always learning and trying to learn. And you know, he was in the big tournaments. I was lucky enough to get done all the majors when I was with my time with him. And. Uh, he, he knew his game very well but um so you trying you know he was very experienced you pick up little bits off him, but he um he was a very he never overpowered a golf course or anything like that and uh, he was he great iron player had a decent short game and he never really he you know he wasn't going to overpower so he was a steady steady player and there was always um Certain weeks of the year, you, you really enjoyed going to the shorter, tighter golf courses. Once you had firm greens, but greens got hard, you always saw, you always excelled, you know.
2: Mm. And is he quite, um, I suppose, at the, in those early stages, he's quite prescriptive as to what he likes and what he doesn't like? And is, is there a little bit of, I suppose, fee- as Johnny said, feeling each other out and sussing each other out as to, as to what the ticks are that's, that make him work? Because obviously he's the one earning money and that's where the 10% comes from or the 5% comes from.
0: Yeah, well, no, he, 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 to be fair, he was always very, very fair with me, you know. And uh, as I said, it was great with, good, uh, with a great run together. Got two Rider Cups and he did a very good win down in Valderrama. And uh, no, with we, we good times, with great times, went to America plenty of times with him. And as I said, I was lucky. I joined him at a time when he was at the top of his game.
2: Yeah, always helps having that fella who's <laughs> at the top of his game, as you said. What makes a good caddy is a good player. Absolutely. Yeah.
1: So how, how, from a caddy's perspective, you mentioned that the the Ryder Cup. How how involved or how exhausting? is a Ryder Cup from, from your perspective?
0: Uh, it, it's obviously, it's a great week. It's a, it's a hard week, though. The caddies work very hard that week. You know, you could be doing, obviously, 36 holes a day, but uh, it, it's where you want to be, you know. It's biggest golf biggest golf stage in the world, and to be involved in it's great. I was lucky, caddy for Paul and them, and they were both winning teams. But it's hard work, and if you're, not, if you're not caddying, say if you're not caddying in the morning, if your player's not playing, you're out there helping the other caddies. You're you're looking for the pin positions. You're pacing off the greens, finding the slopes, things of like that. And then relating it, if they've moved the tee box. You're getting you're getting all the yardages and information that you would like to know if you're a and So you're getting all that with another caddy. Then you're going back to the clubhouse and you're giving it to the lads that are playing. You're going through the the yardage book with them. You know, so it's a good great team atmosphere. You know, you're all there together, pulling in the same direction.
1: It's an interesting one for for that that team environment, especially when golf's such an individual sport. Is it is it? And obviously, it must, must feel great to kind of switch into that team team mode.
0: Yeah, you know, obviously coming, you know, we all from Ireland. We all played football, and we played Gaelic. We all love being around team sports, and that Ryder Cup is unique because you're all there. Was twelve players, twelve caddies, twenty-four of you. Pulling in the same direction, wanting everyone to do the same thing and beat the Americans. So yeah, it's a it's it's a great it's a great thing to do, and it's only every two years. So everyone wants to be there that one week a year where you're all together.
2: In the, in relation to those, <clears throat> you were talking about going to the majors of Paul and and the Ryder Cups. Is your level of prep Darren? Is it way above and beyond, or do you like to keep things really consistent with your guys because? Bigger, bigger tournaments, you don't want anything new coming into their kind of headspace? No, I I try and keep it the same week to
0: week, really, you know, because a lot of the courses we're going to have been so many times. Obviously, if you mm. go to a major, the chances are might not have been there before or might have been there 10 years ago for one major or something, but I don't try and overkill it. The yardage books nowadays are so good. Uh, generally, you know, my week you get to a tournament on a Tuesday, probably play nine holes at lunchtime, get there before and you'd probably walk the other nine. Then by Wednesday you are you are played maybe another nine. So you've played the course once or twice before Thursday come Thursday comes anyway, you know?
2: Yeah. Mm. And then just about keeping keeping your mind calm.
0: Keeping exactly for- that's it. Yeah, but I don't think you see, I don't I don't really understand why if it's a major you would go two days early to practice and uh, you know obviously of a sudden it gets the tours you're absolutely wrecked you know
2: unless it's maybe Augusta and you want to hang around there for a couple of days longer than normal which a lot of fellas seem to do actually they seem to arrive on the Sunday don't they yeah they do but I suppose it's going
0: to be very interesting seeing it this week this time of the year you know we're so used to looking at it in April when it's in full bloom and um, it's going to be very interesting this week how many times have you been uh, just the once just the ones with, with McGinley, but uh, amazing place, spectacular. It's so well kept and uh, absolutely beautiful
2: place. The the mystique around it. I suppose the week that's in it as well. We're we're obviously going to be this is gonna be going to be gone out just after um after after the the event is unfolded. So it's it's all remaining to be seen. But I think one of the things uh, eager to pick your brain on it now. Lee Westwood was interviewed today, and he was saying that without the um without spectators there, he couldn't believe the actual expanse of the land. And I said, the the undulations are even more pronounced now, he was saying, but is there anything to you that when you walked through the gates that you were immediately stunned by? Obviously, con- the conditioning stands for itself, but what was the thing when you walked in ghost's gates? You're like, oh my God, I did not know this.
0: Uh, I was very surprised how short a drive is, actually. The driveway in. <laughs> like, <laughs> <I> know you're in. <laughs> Dalgoni Elkney, Dalgoni's driveway is a lot more impressive than Magnolia Lane.
2: One nil Dalgoni,
0: but <laughs> it's the first thing I suppose you notice is is how pristine the place is. Nothing is out of place, and um, just you see if you get there early in the morning and you see the greenkeepers in action mowing the fairways in unison, it's spectacular to watch.
2: Yeah, that's the iconic evening shot, isn't it? That we always see at the end of play, and it's twelve. Yeah.
0: And of course, of course, the TV don't. It's hard for the TV to do it justice
2: with in terms
0: of on the green with the slopes of the green. You know, you, you can you, the commentators can tell you, oh, we there's he's got to be aiming this far left or right here. But until you're there and you actually see the slope and you think, wow, you literally are aiming where you're back to the hole at certain times. Yeah, like
2: they always say, it's a tough course to caddy on as well. Just the undulations, it's a tough walk by all accounts.
0: Yeah, it's a hilly. There's quite a few hills on the, you know, but the uh, the
2: wind is tricky
0: there on the. No, but the the the, the (laughs) wind is the wind gets tricky there on the back nine, you know, that away on that the twelfth and that, and especially if you're up first as a player caddy, you're the (laughs) guinea pig,
2: trying to pick that wind over water. Who makes? I'm very keen that 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 conversation on 12t as to what's been hit and what way that wind is going. I, I don't envy any caddy there because, geez, you can never be right. It's like you're always no. going to be wrong some way. Well, you could have. I think it's it's so unique. You could have
0: three guys there and they could all hit different clubs.
2: Yeah, it's, it's, it's terrifying. I say from that perspective. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: it's it's good. It's good to watch, but. Uh, down the stretch there on Sunday you need to be on the ball there with the wind and you know you want your player to be obviously striking it well because you get it a little bit wrong there and it catches the wind or the wind shoves it one direction you know we've seen it in the past mm-hmm. Paul's pitching in straight in the water not even getting close to the green
2: I had to find actually I, I was eager to pick your pick your brain on that as someone who's come from as well because I suppose the relationship with Paul McGinley and haven't been on that bag for so long Paul obviously wouldn't have been uh, Long hitter at all—that wasn't his game. But how, from the way you're looking at it on the tee box and guys hitting driver, how much has the game changed Darn, with with these guys and their their speed, power, length off the tee? Um, is it is it? Do you have to stand back and just kind of scratch your head at it that these guys are so long?
0: Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd say well, a lot of them now. You know, the gym is a big factor too. you See lads in the gym more. Working, doing more work in the gym than on their golf game. A lot of lads, but mm-hmm. my young guy, big hitter, carries the ball, three hundred ten yards, three hundred fifteen yards, no problem. But you see, you see the uh, Shambo there last night on TV, swinging at it. I think if he keeps going like that, it'd be hard to see him having a long
2: career with with injuries. Yeah, we've we've said the the first the first thing you do is he'll win a major. The second, he'll do you'll be at a. <laughs> on the, the honest, honestly, honest, yeah, getting a hip replacement or a knee replacement because it's yeah. just oh God, it's getting to the point where it's just violent now. I don't think anyone else is 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 of that a mindset to go that far down the route. But I was just wondering from from someone who sees this, um, but on that from what you've seen and the guys that you've seen who is the guy and we always like to know who's the guy who everyone stops and looks at on the range on the European tour when you're out there week on week like there's always one exceptional ball striker out there. I said, is there anyone out there that you've noticed over the past eighteen year to 18 months
0: well if you're talking big hitting there's a young lad at the moment we played with him in Portugal uh, last month he um he carries his driver at least 360. His name's he's South African. He's only I think eighteen or nineteen. Wilco Niember. Namber. <laughs> I mean, I've never seen you want to see the way this kid hits the golf ball. And he he's quite tall, but he he wouldn't be he doesn't look like he's more than ten stone. He's a skinny tall kid, but by God he gives us some big. Wow. That's
2: three sixty
0: carry. Huh. Three sixty, yeah. There's a par four there in Portugal. It was very, I think it was 380 or 3, 385. He was flying onto the green there comfortably on the Saturday we played with him.
2: Oh, what does that look like when you're standing? I genuinely wouldn't have a clue what that looks like. Is it just something that just keeps on going and going and going forever in this guy? Is, yeah, just... but
0: he, he, he's a bit very different to because uh, you look at uh, Bryson, he's literally thrown every part of his body at the ball. Mm. But this lad, he just creates some power, young Wilco, and it, he doesn't look like particularly going that hard after the ball. But it just it comes off like a good missile, you know.
2: <laughs> yeah, jeez, that'd be uh, nice, nice, nice weapons I have. And have you found just I suppose in this evolution as well the likes of haven't been on the bag for Paul as well, who that that's not his game either. Is, is it a case where those guys are just going to have to find a way to hit it longer?
0: Yeah, but I think the, the shorter hitters to try and do that, you start losing a little bit of consistency and that. But it, now you know the third European third, a lot of the guys, the young lads are coming through. They all carry the ball a long way. Yeah, you
2: know, so if, you, if, you, if, you,
0: if you don't, if you don't carry it to to ninety, you're you're, you're uh, giving away a, a massive advantage to the field.
2: Yeah, uh, it's like we've seen, like what happens from the strokes gain perspective. But it's 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 just interesting to get your perspective of it from. Someone who's literally standing on the T box while these lads are swinging out of their shoes and yeah, doing themselves a mischief. Really, I think.
1: And from from the other end, who would be a player that you you would stop with when it comes to like the the short game? Who would be one one of the best that you've seen, or one of the best that's out there at the moment?
0: I, I don't think anyone can be Paul Dunne. I'll totally honest with you. You know, had really? from for three years, every nearly every round or certainly twice in a week, he'd hit two chips that would just you would uh, be blown away by
2: them. Really? And that's um, even after, and you've been with Shane as well uh, on the back. Yeah. Shane, Shane and Harrington too,
0: you know, they're all very, very good. Shane's extremely good, extremely good, but there wouldn't be much in it between himself and, um, and Paul. It'd be, it'd be a very close one. Yeah, it'd be a good game to watch. It'd be a great game to watch around the chip and green, but there wouldn't be much in it between the two of
2: them. Well, that's that's legendary, though the uh, the Irish lads playing for cash around the chip and green, isn't it? On...
0: Yeah, but you don't. It's funny in Europe, you don't see a lot of lads at it. The short game, you, you'd always get a spot in the chip and green. They're all <laughs> obsessed with the range.
2: No track man in the chip and green.
0: No, no track. Just... But everyone, everyone has track men, uh over ninety-five percent have men now. I'd say.
1: And so, what? When the what's the camaraderie like amongst Irish, my Irish caddies? Obviously, everyone knows about the you know the infamous credit card dinners, the Irish players and, and the likes. Of what they got up to. What What's the camaraderie like amongst caddies? Obviously, before the season in the bubble.
0: Yeah, well, we can not socialise now, but yeah, it's <laughs> good. You know, but my roommate Dermot Bourne from Bray. He, you know, we, we're roommates for last eight nine years. You know, all, uh, he was in America for quite a while, but uh, all the lad, all the Irish dads stick together. You know, you, you'd make a point of going out for dinner, or going for a few beers, or if there was a sporting event on, you'd be going out to watch the rugby or watch a match on a Saturday. Or so we look forward to them times return and when we can do that, you know.
1: How did you, how did you and Paul Don then, then come together? Because you, you, guys had, had, some, had some serious success when you were a, a duo as well.
0: Yeah, so we started in um, our first tournament was in Australia, in uh, in Perth. Uh, I didn't know Paul to be honest, although we were from the, you know, I'm from Bray, Paul's from Greystones, but he went to Alabama University. My friend Alan Murray was the head golf coach there, so with a bit of, um, with a bit of a connection. And he was looking for a caddy and um, Darren McBorne and Shane Larry had been with him in America. They played, I think, in in Torrey Pines or something. And he was in the, looking for a caddy and they kind of said, well, Darren Reynolds might be looking or might be able to help out and kind of went from there. We started with three good years together.
1: And so... When again when it's, a, when it's a young young lad like that, when he's coming out out of college, is there anything in particular that you look for? Because obviously with, with Anton, you were saying that he you'd you'd seen his form in terms of challenge tour, got a couple of wins. With with Paul, is there anything that stood out to you apart from obviously his short game must now be, be legendary. By that point, what what jumped out about him to you?
0: Uh well, obviously he'd done his uh he'd been to the college in America, so he was he was very well he was well prepared. He um, unbelievable work ethics, great, worked very hard on his game, practiced a lot, but he was, he was ready for tour in terms of the, the, the American college system was good, you know, he was, he traveled a lot to play these big competitions over there at the amateur level of the college. So he had, obviously he played the British Open as an amateur. He knew what it was all about. He had them, that amazing tournament in St. Andrews and, uh, he was very confident in his own ability, and uh, yeah, I, I, I enjoyed my time with we, we some good good weeks together, and obviously great to get the win together too.
1: You also got got off to a flying start as well when you when you were were together down in Australia.
0: Uh, our first, no, our first one was in Perth, and uh, it was a long way to go for your first tournament. Yeah. but uh, and the first year was tough for him because. He'd come from the tour school, so it was tough in terms of planning was very difficult because as a tour school player, you weren't guaranteed to be in every tournament. Then, When you're wearing, you kind of needed to play well, you know, because you're trying to get inside that magic number to keep your card for the following year. But once he'd done that, the the shackles were off him and he was kind of free to play because you knew you were looking forward to a, a full season the following year in all the tournaments.
2: And do you see just such a, <clears throat> having been around, I suppose, that game for that long, and obviously you would have experienced the game at the Ryder Cup level, the major level. What's it like for those guys who are year in, year out, battling from kind of 90 to 127 or whatever whatever the number is? Do you, like, would you wish it on your worst enemy, what those guys go through from from a from week-to-week basis?
0: No, it's it's not nice to see. Certainly late on in the year, uh, when you know lads are fighting for the card, you yeah. never know. Every everyone's circumstances is different. There's lads at home with wives, kids, mortgages, and you know, sport. We've always said it's one of the few sports in the world you don't get paid if you don't play well. Yeah, and uh, like- uh, they tour players have massive expenses, and they're lucky this year. Dave, you know, there's no stat. You don't have to keep your card this year because they've almost wiped it. You're you're good to go again next year. But that said, um, although we're, we're we're playing for reduced money, there's been big opportunities this year for all the players. You know, you make your you, you win a tournament there, you you got to you go into the winners category. Although they are small events, that's a big big carrot dangling on front of you as a tour player
2: yeah i I think we've we've seen from from a couple of the guys like chatting to to john Catlin and what he's done this year in terms of the the two tournaments he's won so as financially we were, we were saying that it was very strange in that if he had won the tournament in the middle of the two that he sandwiched with wins he would have won four times as much um but it, it re- he really wasn't kind of i suppose phased by that because it was effectively about Playing rights, making sure he's he's in for effectively what's two and a half years now because you've next year plus two years, isn't it? So um, exactly, yeah. So obviously their priority is longevity and making sure, I suppose that is covered off. Really, isn't it? Straight, it's such a hard existence. Like,
0: yeah, but well, that's the big thing. Once you know you have the card, you can plan your year. You know, this year it's just been no one see, nobody's seen what was coming, but it's been extremely strange. But as a tour player, you just want to get that card knowing you can pick and choose your 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 schedule. Because if you don't have that coming from the school or the challenge here, sure, a lot of the tournaments are kind of last minute. You may only get in the tournament on Tuesday your Wednesday and it, it makes preparation very difficult, you know?
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. For for players, obviously, it was hard because they were trying to get out and they were trying to earn. But, like, we saw, like, I suppose, Herculean attempts from, like, the likes of Ian Finnis to, to help support caddies who weren't who were just flat out at work. There was just, there was nothing to be done. They were like, couldn't even go caddy in a normal courses. Um, how did you find it when obviously everything ground to a halt? Was it nice to get a reset or were you like worried as to when this would kick back off?
0: Uh, I, I thought we, I, I wasn't sure we would caddy play, play tournaments again this year, but I'm brutally honest. Um, I was lucky I had a little stretch I went to America for four events and then I I enjoyed it at home. I I would have rather be working but I enjoyed it here. You know we uh, we got a dog in lockdown and best thing we ever done kept us busy. We were out walking every day of the
2: week, you know. Yeah, we did that. I'm still not sure it's the best thing I've done in lockdown, mind you. <laughs> I'm I'm fighting a battle to get to oh, the dog yeah. as well. Well, well I'll, I'll, send, I'll send you a picture of the um the carpet in our living room and that will quickly dispel any, <laughs> any desires to go down that route, to be honest. But, um, so like end of season, uh, well not end of season, I suppose we were a couple of weeks in Cyprus, uh, you're down to South Africa. Um, what's the plan for the rest of the year down? Um, and when were you going well, to get another break? I suppose.
0: Well, the plan is the plan is, is on Thursday. I, I'll do a, um, a... I do a home COVID test that will be sent away Friday. I'll have a results Saturday. So that will determine if I'm going to Africa or not. <laughs> and then uh, we plan on going to Africa for two tournaments. And then we're going to Dubai for two tournaments. And that will be the year wrapped up. But we, we have a little, we have a little um, target. My boss has a target himself because he came from the Challenge Tour. The European Tour have created a new category this year that will be used for next season that the top three players basically not exempt in the big events will get into them. So we're in uh, we're in second position at the moment on that order of merit. And uh, if you stay inside the top three, it means he can plan in his year better next year. He'd be guaranteed starts in all the Rolex events, the PG the BMW PGA and it just it's gonna make his life a lot easier to plan if he can just stay inside that.
1: That's interesting. So does he, Does he? and do you know more or less what kind of permutations need to come your way or you what you need to achieve to, to stay within that trio? Kind of.
0: Kind of. He's uh, looking a little bit over his shoulder and you're kind of watching what the other guys are doing. It's only down to about tr- probably four or five players. So you're kind of hedging your bets, seeing what tournaments they enter. And uh, we're, we, we basically know we're going to play in Joburg. If he plays half-decent there, he won't go to Leopard Creek. we we'll go straight to Dubai to practice for a week before the two tournaments in Dubai. But ultimately, it'll all come down to the last tournament to race to Dubai because the money's going to be so big there, anyone can make a jump. Yeah. Wow. You know, but it'll be nice to it'll be nice to hold on because it's been obviously a strange year, but travel to a lot of the smaller events, and although he's played well, it's hard to make ground in these smaller events.
1: Yeah, so you, it's it's... It's almost as bad as much picking when you perform as much as performing regularly.
0: Exactly, like I said earlier on, for the guys coming through the school, players are challenged. Or, you know, it's it's tough. You go all season playing the small ones, then it comes to the big one. You know, Abu Dhabi. We got the second reserve didn't get in. Got the Scotland second reserve didn't get in. You know, the other two big Rolex events. So if we can just finish this year off strong, we look forward to being in all
2: them next year. That must Jesus. have been frustrating getting so close to that.
1: Yeah, yeah, I was rooting for you now as well.
2: Yeah, exactly. Oh, definitely.
0: It it is tough because you know you listen. It's the same playing field for everyone. The small. I, I always say even the small events they're big if you can put in bigger performances in them. But you know you want to be on the bigger stage. The, the Rolex Series events. There's not just the prize fund. The, generally, the the war ranking points are so
2: strong in them. Also, you know. You don't want to jinx anything for anybody. We're just, I'm just sitting here, just hope we say the right thing that doesn't <laughs> have a bizarre effect on, on what's coming. Because for guys like that, you're like it means such a big deal having two good wins for um, or, or two good performances coming in, coming down the stretch to to guarantee that they have a job next year. I just that's just mad. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's so tough. Like,
0: yeah, we had a permutation at the Irish Open this year. It was between my player and Laurie Cantor, they had a one spot held for the Scottish Open. Um, the top-ranked player after the Irish Open that wasn't exempt for the Scottish would get in. And uh, we lost out by 0.7 on on the point system, which was so so uh, minute. It was literally, we didn't birdie the last. If we did, we would have got in. And we were relying on two other golfers to birdie the last. They would have knocked Cantor out and us in. And they both made par, but it was literally fractions, you know. And
1: that's uh, heartbreaking, that's... but also just a, a sign of the cruel reality that is not only sport, but but golf in particular.
0: No, but I keep saying to my lad, you know, he's talking about the end of the year, what he needs to know. You know, you, you, it's in your own destiny. You, you know, you play well, you get your your awards. You know.
2: Yeah. Well, look, the, the, another name for us to, to go rooting after for the end of the year. We've had a couple of guys on the pod that we really, really like. So right, there there's another one to add to the to the watch list on the Yeah.
1: And if you're pod. in any way superstitious, we had Bob McIntyre on the pod and he just won there last week. We had John Catlin on just after winning. So yeah. keep an eye out for, for Anton listeners. Um, Darren thank you very much for, for having this chat with us we don't want don't to take up too much of your time but we really appreciate you coming on and, and giving us this little insight to life as a tour caddy
0: okay guys no problem I hope it helped I enjoyed it too on the tee Jack Nicholas.
1: this is the minute the millions around the world have waited for
0: we will allow you to enjoy all of this They are
1: dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we
2: have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory.